Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and the quintessential high school student trope that I embodied when I was in high school was, well, I would eat lunch in a secret room in the library because the librarians and I were tight. <laughs> so, take that. <laughs> My name is Caitlin, and I was the choir nerd. I ate my lunch in the choir room. Apparently, that's how we define ourselves, by where we ate our lunches. Lunchtime is important. I'm Cameron, and I did not eat my lunch in the band hall because the directors would have skinned you alive, but I did head there as soon as I was done eating. So, My name is Kristen, and I was the weirdly competitive academic person who did everything and had an arch nemesis. <laughs> Ooh, like it. <laughs> um, so I'm Lauren Spieler, and I don't remember where I ate lunch. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest; <laughs> I remember it being outside. But I, I was uh, actually a cheerleader and a dancer, and kind of more on the jock side in high school. Um, so I, yeah, weird. <laughs> I went. It was, it was all downhill popularity-wise. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. You know us better than we know ourselves. And <laughs> a big welcome to this episode's special guest, Lauren Spieler, who is a literary agent at Triata USA and also the author of She's the Worst and Your Destination is on the Left. Welcome, Lauren. We're glad to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's really nice to chat with people other than the people I'm quarantined with. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> well, we are really happy to have you because, as our other listeners know, none of us writes. None of us write contemporary fiction, so we're glad to have the expert on the scene to answer all our questions. No pressure. <laughs> so today, we wanted to talk about tension and stakes, specifically how um, writers can make those work in uh, contemporary novels. Um, so quick review, what are tension and stakes? What do we mean by that? Tension is that sense of conflict that we see on the page, and it's sometimes really big conflict and really intense tension, and sometimes it's just an awkwardness between two characters or uh, a feeling of, of fear or embarrassment when they remember something. So tension can be large and small, but there should always be some tension on the page. And then I think the second part was stakes. Um, and the stakes of your story are what, what typically what the character stands to lose or what will happen if they fail to meet their goal. So then I guess where we want to take this discussion next, for people who haven't hopped much between the genres of contemporary and sci-fi and fantasy, how does tension in a contemporary novel differ from other genres like fantasy and sci-fi? So I think tension is tension in some ways. Um, you have to have both internal and external tension and you have to have stakes either way, but I think the difference is that in fantasy, you're more likely to be able to rely on world-ending stakes or battle, you know, like really intense stakes, whereas in contemporary, they're going to be a little more personal and a little more grounded in everyday life, which is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I really like when we were writing notes up for this, Kristen actually stole my favorite thing to say about this. So I'll let you say it, Kristen. Okay, sure. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, and I, I think, Lauren, you said it right when you said that tension in a lot of ways is tension. Because I don't know that tension and stakes really differ that much in genre fiction than in more realistic fiction. 
just because even if your speculative fiction like fantasy or sci-fi is dealing with saving the world, I think the best type of genre fiction, maybe you're still saving the world, but they make it personal. So like I was thinking of The Hunger Games where we care that Katniss is trying to take down the Capitol because we know all the horrible things the Capitol has done to her specifically or in The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, we we do care about the ultimate conflict between um, the Parshendi and the humans, but I care more about whether or not Kaladin can overcome how much he hates the, the light eyes or if he can get himself free. So I, I just think that no matter what your stakes are or what genre you're writing in, they need to feel really personal and you have to give your readers a reason to care about them. I had, I had something of a similar note. Um... Maybe maybe just said a different way that the best stakes are always character centric, regardless of what genre you're in. You have usually, unless you write in some really weird posthumanist stuff, you have people who you know want to be loved, they want to be understood, and they want to be safe. And kind of that at the end, that's just kind of like the window dressing of the conflict. That if you don't have the character stuff at the base working, that 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 technique is going to be very similar regardless of what genre you're you're working in. I do want to push back against this a little bit because yeah. I feel like YA especially, well, maybe just in anything, any book, um, I feel like stakes are a lot more um, focused on children, I guess, when you're in contemporary lit or something that's grounded in the real world. Like Katniss and Kaladin stakes are really simpler, uh, similar to things a contemporary teen might experience, but it's dialed up to like 12,000. Like you don't have their lives on the line. And I think that that's one of the core things that Lauren is saying here is that their lives aren't on the line. Um, what do you think, Lauren? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, yes to everyone, sort of. <laughs> it's absolutely true that even when that's why internal and external stakes have to be there regardless of genre because I think Cameron's absolutely right that like it and I think Kristen said this as well like it, even when there are world ending stakes at the end of the day we care because of the character we don't I mean yes it's important to us that the wizarding world and muggles not be subjugated under Voldemort but at the end of the day we want Harry to survive because we really like him um, and so I, I think it does always come back to character I think with contemporary realistic, it, it can also be, you know, the stakes can also can still be quite high. Like if you look at something like The Fault in Our Stars, it's still a life and death. Yeah. But in books where mortality isn't at play, where the stakes are getting into college or getting the girl or um, a friend breakup or what have you, then I think that's where you really see those internal stakes come into focus and it can be a challenge to make the external stakes feel big enough that the reader is pulled along because they're already familiar with the with the way a lot of those external conflicts are going to play out because they've lived them in their own lives so you you find in contemporary yourself i think focusing more on the internal um, and on the character even more than you might in genre because that is really the end-all be-all in a way that with fantasy, um, you can you can still, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy to do in fantasy, because it's absolutely not, but you can still fall back on like an intergalactic space war, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's really true. Um, contemporary <laughs> fiction really dials in on the characters. So I, I really like what you said there. So maybe like another way to wrap that all together is to say that when you're writing contemporary, even if the stakes aren't literally life and death, that especially if you're dealing with teenagers, whatever the stakes are, maybe they should feel like yes. life and death. 
I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, especially, as you say, with teens, it's important because I'm sure we can all remember that when we were teenagers eating our sad or not sad lunches, that everything <laughs> felt really, really dire. Um, getting in, getting you know, into that college or getting that person to date you, it felt like the most important thing in the world. And so finding a way to make those stakes feel super important without going all the way, you know, too far and blowing them out of proportion in the melodrama, I think is it's a really important line to walk. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then it's looking like we've already touched on our next question, how to make the stakes feel high and contemporary lit. But Kristen, did you have any of your notes you wanted to add before we keep going down? Well, I just was going to say that an example of a contemporary that I think deals with really real issues and does it really well is with The Fire on High, which I just read recently. I I think part of the reason that the stakes feel so high in that book is because they, I mean, they are high. Uh, Emily is trying to figure out what she most wants in life and how she can achieve her dreams while staying true to who she is and the responsibility she has. And I think because they're so relatable, like it's something on a certain scale and a certain, to a certain degree everyone has to deal with that I think it's really easy to care about. So what about pacing then? How does pacing differ in a contemporary novel? I think it depends on the type of contemporary novel, because I think we often use the word contemporary as a stand-in for realistic. And, and we also forget that within contemporary and realistic, you can have something like a thriller or a mm-hmm. mystery. Um, you can have a contemporary that is a fantasy. So I think it it really depends on the genre, what sort of pacing you're looking for. Um, you might write, you're going to write one different from the other. So a thriller is going to have more breakneck pacing, whereas contemporary love story might have more of a slow burn. Um, and even when you get down into like the difference between a mystery and a thriller, those have different kinds of pacing. So I think it depends. Um, I would say that you tend to see faster pacing with, well, you know what? I was going to say you tend to see faster pacing with sci-fi fantasy and genre novels, but that's not always, like anyone that's read the fifth season or the Lord of the Rings knows that those books (laughs) don't don't move at a fast clip, at least in the beginning. Um, So yeah, I really think it's, it's novel to novel. I'm a, so in my, my other hat that I wear besides author is that I'm a literary agent. And the thing that I'm always telling my clients is that I want their pacing to be even. And that means it shouldn't ever feel like it can get fast paced, but it shouldn't ever feel too fast. And you can really take your time with the scene. But if it's so slow that I'm losing interest, then you've taken too much time. So it's really about finding the right pace for what you're writing and for each given scene. And I think that's that really is true regardless of genre. I When I wrote this question, I was thinking about this in terms of Something that I feel like genre fiction kind of does to cheat, where we're like, this is getting slow. Let's add in a fight scene. And you can't really do that as easily in realistic, grounded books. I mean, you could, but it's slightly different. Yeah, when I say that sometimes having high stakes and high tension and contemporary is hard, that's exactly what I mean. My first book is about a girl who wants desperately to get into college, but in the first chapter, she finds out that she hasn't gotten in anywhere. And the rest of the book is her figuring out what you do after you fail. And she has an internship and she's also falling for a guy and there are some family things happening. But like there there were times where I was like, this is feeling a little bit slow. I wish I could 
like kill somebody. <laughs> and I can't. Um, it would become a very different book. So, so I would have to find ways to up that tension and those stakes in a different way. And my my options were just very were very different. <laughs> so, what kind of what options did, did you have? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, characters can have fights. They can have arguments, and those arguments, you know they aren't going to result in someone pulling a sword. So you have to like use your words really careful, carefully to create tension um, and having fights at, I'm a really big believer in the beat sheet, the save the cat beat sheet, because mm-hmm. it really helps to know like where you are going to need t- tension organically. Um, so you can have, you know, arguments, you can up the stakes by one of the, the ways, there are two ways that I like to up the stakes. Um, the first is by putting a ticking clock of some type in the book, which, which, you know, doesn't have to be a bomb, right? Like there can be a deadline for something or, or whatever. Um, so having a ticking clock and then when you are worried that it starts to feel slow, make something go really wrong that gets in the way of them achieving their goal. And that can be almost anything. Like I have a scene in my book where the main character in my first book is trying to impress this woman who's given her an internship. And I was like, she needs to do something that makes her look like incompetent, but but not so incompetent that it's like she'd be fired, but also she needs to be really embarrassed. And so I remembered this one time that I was in an internship of my own and something went really wrong with a Keurig and the coffee went everywhere and it made a really bad noise and I was super embarrassed. And so I added that into the scene and suddenly I had like all of this you know, conflict and tension between she between the two characters. And it was and it was fun to write. So it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be gigantic. It just has to be something that gets in the way. Add a dash of mayhem. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. And all of us have experiences in our lives to draw from. Fortunately, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Fortunately. Think of when you've been the most embarrassed and put it in a book. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't like the thought of that, Lauren. <laughs> it was it was therapeutic. <laughs> I worked through some things. <laughs> so are, is there such a thing as having... Um, too much tension, too many stakes in a contemporary novel. Are there places that authors tend to go off the rails when writing contemporary? And I know you've said that covers so many different areas of literature. So, Well, you guys read a lot of things that aren't published, I take it, like for one another and for the podcast. Absolutely. Um, so I'd, I'd love to put the question to you. Do you think there are times when that happens? I would say that for me, when I have seen submissions that lose my interest is when it veers into melodrama without intentionally doing so, where where it feels like everyone is reacting, like whatever has happened is the end of the world, but I don't have the emotional connection to that to believe it. And so as like a third party observer to the whole story, it's really hard to care if that work hasn't been done in before. So even if it's a small thing, um, like, or even if it is actually a big deal, if I don't, yeah, if, if I don't feel connected to the characters or if I don't understand why they think it's such a big deal, I'm not going to think it's a big deal no matter what it is. A really common, common trip up, especially doing submissions, is that the stakes are too high for the context that we have. So we can see whether it's life or death, whether it's merely life-changing, or something on an even smaller scale where, I mean, this is, I think this can be, this is 
a harder problem maybe to overcome in a more fantastic setting because people are messing with basic rules of how the world works but we don't understand what they've messed with so we don't understand why we should care about what's going on or or and then also like on a character level we don't understand the character's relation to what's going on and so we know it's exciting we know it's dangerous but we don't understand it yeah without i mean you guys tell me if you don't want to if i'm jumping the gun but this is actually how i felt about the pages that you shared with me they they felt like there was a lot going on and there was a lot of tension and world but i did not have enough information to actually feel grounded in the scene and then because i was um, because i was confused i stopped caring and so so much of it goes back to like you really have to do the groundwork and rudis in the scene before you can you can mess everything up right like yeah. I, I i teach a writing class um a couple times a year through lit reactor and it's on writing great first pages and one of the things that i encourage people to do is to make sure that their book opens with something it doesn't have to be a whole chapter it doesn't even have to be a whole paragraph but something that roots us in the status quo because we can't understand how things have changed or how bad things are if we don't understand what your life what the baseline is what your life already is and i think one of you mentioned hunger games earlier that is one of the most masterful first chapters because it's full of tension and it really roots us in this world and everything that already is a problem before we find out about what you know before the story is actually launched and we see uh katniss volunteer so uh, yeah i think i think having too much too soon is a problem that's actually a really good point and i think that's an an excellent transition to move over to looking at the chapter did anybody have any final notes before we hop over to that okay fantastic so quick review of how we critique we try to be non-prescriptive and if you'd like to check out the text of the submission and see all our notes, check on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So, a summary of this week's chapter. Elwyn, a girl with the ability to communicate with trees, is out in the forbidden woods when a terrifying being tries to kill her. What are some things we liked about this chapter? The, the trees are really lovely, and I liked that we get to see early on how she interacts with them. Like we see what the magic system is pretty quickly. And it's, it's really, it's a nice one. I agree. I thought that the references to her tree power throughout the whole submission were really consistent. And um, just kind of some of the descriptions, for instance, she refers to dread in her stomach, like weighted tree sap. And so I thought that that fit the mood really nicely. Yeah, I thought there was some really beautiful language in the submission that did a lot towards building the tone. Even in the first paragraph that talks about um, thousands of worried leaves chattering overhead or describing the roots as hardened serpents, which I thought was just really lovely. I really liked, I mean, and I think we're going to talk about this in a minute as things that might need a second look as well, but I feel like all of the concepts that got thrown at us, like the different kinds of monsters and we got some some bigger world, like there are these ancient beings that live in the forest. All of those things are super interesting. And as I said, we'll probably talk about it again in a second, but I would be really interested in any of those if I got a slightly slower look at them and was able to really absorb what it is that I'm seeing. 
They were really I good. also really liked the tension in the first page. You can, and that she is pulled. There's a line where she says that guilt tugged at her, pulling her the other way down the eerie path, even though her heart called her home. That was a lovely line, but I also loved that it shows that she herself is being pulled in two directions. And it, it made me realize as scary and as eerie as the scene is, what she is there to do is even more important than protecting herself. And that that really established her personal stakes very clearly right away. Mm-hmm. If we're good to transition then, what are some things that might need a second look in this chapter? So one thing that uh, we've we sort of mentioned uh, earlier is for me, I felt like the pacing in the opening few pages was a little off um, just because on the first page, Elwyn is in a hurry and she's terrified. She's full of fear. She keeps thinking she needs to move faster and faster. And then on page two, when her brother shows up, she's worried, but they're still able to work in companionable, silent, companionable, however you say that word, (laughs) silence. They're working together and everything is good. And I just couldn't decide if danger was imminent or if it wasn't. And I wasn't sure why she wasn't reacting immediately to him being present if she was so scared. Yeah, I was surprised she didn't immediately send the brother away. Mm -hmm. And like, I can understand like with the, with like the context of what's going on, maybe it was safer to actually keep him with her at that point, but we needed that lampshade. I think one of the things uh, we met, we know we're going to talk some more about is that this is a really distant third person. And at least for me, I felt like I was missing a lot of what she thought about what was going on beyond the basic, I need to do this. This is dangerous. So I think there's so much in here. And I think Caitlin, you, you mentioned before that there are a lot of really interesting types of monsters and creatures in the forest. And I agree that I'm I'm interested in knowing more like what an AOC is, what a Docha Dorcha is. Um, <clears throat> but there's so much that I I just got confused and mm-hmm. I stopped trying to figure it out, which is not, you know, what you want. And I and I also found that because I didn't understand all of the things going on in the scene. I wasn't able to connect with her emotionally. And I'm not sure if it was Cameron or who said this before, but because I didn't understand it, it turned what what, what might otherwise be a really emotional scene into melodrama. And I I wanted to care, but I was I was too confused to do it. And I think I know that probably sounds harsh, but I think the she has the makings of a really important scene. I think she's just trying to do too much too soon. There's a lot of really great elements on these pages. I just think the the weights are a, little, are a little off. Yeah. Part of it for me was the pacing. It, I, I agree that the there's a lot of tension and energy and hurry, and then it slows way down. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I also found that it we kind of started and stopped and started and stopped the plot multiple times. Like we, there's something watching her and we're afraid and then it's her brother and that was clever but then the guy comes but then we think okay no it's not actually him he's there talking about someone else and then it turns out no he is that thing because he takes his skin off and 
I that was a little confusing and and then things calm down again and they're having a conversation and he asks what it is she wants and we find out about the mother which I was interested in mm -hmm. and then he immediately is like enough about that I'm just going to kill you. So mm -hmm. I think there's so much that's interesting here but I would I would have loved to have just gotten more of an establishing shot like maybe it starts with her leaving her house and telling her brother to stay behind and to take care of their father and she can in interiority show that the mother is missing like just something that kind of eases us in and gives us some time to get our feet underneath us before this really gripping and interesting scene happens yeah a sense of of what's normal would have been really helpful just because when she does see the aoc and the dorka i have no idea if it's if those are creatures that you expect to run into in, in the woods and the woods are dangerous because everybody has the possibility of being hurt by them or if there's something about her abilities that drew them to her it, it just would have been helpful I think to get a sense of how out of the realm of normality this was for um, the main character I agree and maybe this is um, bridging on prescriptivism but people always say, start the story where the action starts. But that doesn't necessarily mean right in full crisis mode. Um, Lauren, you mentioned that there was that great tension of her, her feeling guilty, um, but wanting to go home. That started way earlier than the scene we're seeing. And so stories don't necessarily have to start at the crisis point for there to be good tension. And there's definitely some really good tension points in this chapter. Well, and along with that, I um, Cameron mentioned that we're in a really distant third person narrative, which is fine. But I, I did want to know a whole lot more about what Ellen was thinking and what was important to her. I mean, we get stakes on the page pretty quickly, but I wasn't sure where they were coming from or how they made her feel, I guess. Where if, if we started just a little bit earlier in here and being prescriptive again, which, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, if, if we had enough time to, like, have her processing why it's so important to go into the forest when it's so dangerous before she gets there and what she might meet while she's there and what will happen to her if she meets something while she's there. And then she does meet those things. Like we would, we would know a lot more about what it is that she wants and why it's so important. We're about out of time. Does anybody have any final notes before we close? I had one last thing I wanted to talk about, which might just be a me thing. Cause I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else talk about this, but <laughs> um there's a thing where I really, I'm, I don't have anything against the device of having the brother happen to wander out in the woods in this scene, but I wish I knew why, like why today? Why is today the first time the kid brother wandered out? Why is, why, why is today the first time she gets caught by this thing and has this experience? Does that make sense? Like I had that up question until, too. Up until, the, up until the kid brother shows up, as far as we know, this is the exact same way this always goes. Um, and it's not that, you know, real, it's that thing like reality is unrealistic. Sometimes things just happen and there isn't a rhyme or reason so that you can follow, but. But there is a sense right. here that she has been afraid of this thing and that she's almost been waiting for it. And he also says she, there does seem to be something about her ability to communicate with trees that is making her a target. Yeah. And so if, if this is the kind of thing where she has known it was going to come eventually, and it is random that it's today, then there needs to be a sense of like, I knew this was coming. I really, I like hoped it wouldn't, but it's here. Otherwise I agree, there needs to be some kind of inciting incident 
um, that triggers this. Otherwise, there's just a few too many coincidences in a row for it to be believable. Right. It's not that I, I don't think we're saying that like any of the individual events on the page have to change. We just need to see some more human reaction to the events that are happening. To put and, yeah, the kind of and, and so like, we need to have we need to have our 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 our, our viewpoint character attempting to make sense of the events as they're happening if that yeah it may be a little more harsh than i mean but no i think that makes sense it, because we the reader understands the story through the eyes of the protagonist so unless she makes it clear that this thing is surprising this thing is scary this thing is depressing like we don't know how that's what interiority is there for like you need to tell us how to interpret what's happening mm -hmm. um the only other note that I had is I think part of what's also maybe slowing the pacing is that while I really like some of these turns of phrases and they're lovely, I do think that there are spots where it's a little overwritten. I flagged one place um, just as an example on page three. She says, um, opening her eyes, Elwyn tilted her gaze and stilled as her leg muscles tightened. That's a lot of nitty gritty detail that we don't there's so much there that it's kind of a wash. Like, I don't even really know what to take away from that. Um, I would rather, whereas the next line says, the forest froze. That is a fast, very evocative line that makes it clear that everybody is freezing. This is high tension. I think she could probably cut that first line entirely and just say the forest froze and accomplish the same thing. So looking for places where maybe the prose is getting a little purple or a little too broken down into components, would help the overall feeling. Yeah, I had the same note, just focusing on the most important things. Okay, then. Thanks to this author for submitting. We loved reading your chapter. And Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really great. And I'm very glad that I had a chance to read this. And if I don't know who the author was, but when the manuscript is ready, if she'd like to send it to me, I'm happy to put my agent hat on and consider it. Awesome. Listeners, be sure to check out Lauren's books, She's the Worst and Your Destination is on the Left. Thank you to our intern, Lindsay Owens, and Alan Sinkster, who is our sound designer. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.